Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. Well, I think we can all agree right now that our world is hurting. And it's not just that our world is crazy, which that's what some people would say, or our world is chaotic right now, or nuts, okay? The reality is people are in pain. That's what we're dealing with right now. We're dealing with real pain. And that could be from the uh, negative consequences to the coronavirus or the financial impact of that virus as well. Or it could be because of injustice or racism towards black Americans. People are in anguish. Okay, that's the world that we currently live in. People that are hurting. And maybe today you're dealing with some hurt. There's, and maybe you would be like, oh, it's not hurt, it's frustration. Whatever you want to name it, there's something that you're dealing with. There's some sort of problem. There's some sort of pain that you're personally dealing with. And maybe it's people that are close to you that you know and you see what's happening with them. Or maybe it's even yourself. You know, a lot of times when I talk with people about pain, they'll bring up plans. And we're in this series about plans. When, when, when plans change, we've got to recalculate. And we're going to wrap up the series today. But when I talk with people, they'll bring up plans in this way. They'll say, well, I had plans that didn't work out. And that was really the source of pain. But they'll even go further and say, I thought God had plans for me. And, and these plans didn't involve pain. They were for my they were for a future and a hope, and they were not to harm me. And people will bring that up and say, well, if, if God has those plans for me, then, then why am I experiencing all this bad stuff? Why is our world in pain? And when I first got asked that starting ministry 20-something years ago, I didn't really know how to answer because it's a good question. Why is there that pain? I don't know if I necessarily have the answer, but they would bring up that one verse. You know, you kind of heard me mention a little bit about it. And we know this verse. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. If you don't, it is a great verse. I'll read it to you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And say, well, I thought God had plans for me in that way. It wasn't disaster. It was for a good future. It was for hope. And so I thought, I need to really understand what this verse is about because that verse is encouraging. It's, it's an awesome verse. And, and just because when you look at the context, it doesn't lessen it, but it does help us understand what the Lord was trying to speak in that situation because right there we see God is supposed to have good plans for us, but yet sometimes life comes with a slew of negative events that we didn't plan for. Well, in this passage, God is speaking to his people through the prophet Jeremiah after they had been removed from the promised land. They had been exiled. It wasn't just that they were removed. They had bloody battles. They were war-torn, and they were kicked out of their homeland in the harshest of ways. And so they had false prophets saying, okay, yeah, we've been kicked out of our homeland, which God promised to us, but you know what? We're going to go right back. So don't get comfortable here. And God, in this Jeremiah 29 passage, says, no, 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 tell the people this. Build homes. Okay, start doing life there. Set up shop. You better camp out for a while because you're going to be here for a while. And then he says, because I know the plans I have for you. I know these plans. They're good. They're not for disaster. They're to give you a future 
and hope. And so God was saying, listen, you're going to have to trust me in this. Even though this is not fun, even though this has been hard, you're going to have to trust me. Even though you're not in your homeland, that I know the bigger picture, that I do have a divine plan in mind. See, the reality is God's plans aren't always our plans. He doesn't think like we think. His ways are higher than our ways. In fact, Isaiah 55 says, my thoughts are not like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Our thoughts are typically about us, right? That's what our thoughts usually are for. They dream up big plans to make us happy. But the rub is, see, I think somewhere along the way, people started buying this lie, thinking that God's primary plan for you and me is to be happy. That's what most people think. The problem with that or the flaw with that ideology is that what happens when you're not happy? What happens to your faith? If you think God's primary reason for his existence is to make you happy, that's why God is even there. So when you're not happy, what do you do about God? What does that do to your faith? Right now in our world, there's a lot not to be happy about, honestly. There is a lot of hurt like we started this message with, there's a lot of pain, does that severely shake our faith? Does that mean God has abandoned us? Should we just walk away as an unbeliever? And sadly, that's what I see happening specifically with a lot of young people. And it breaks my heart, to be honest. I'm not just trying to be critical up here. I'm seeing young people leave their faith family, leave the faith because their expectation of God isn't being met with what they expected, maybe even what they were taught. And so by the droves, people are saying, okay, I'm not interested in this God because there's pain. I'm not interested in this God because it's messy. I'm not interested in God because there's so much hurt. To me, it's an interesting idea to think, like, where did this come up, this, this idea that God should base all of his plans upon our happiness? Where did that originate? Where did that come from? Because the Bible is filled with stories of people that follow God, did what he asked, and I don't think they were completely happy all the time. Moses, who had a pretty good life in Egypt before he had to, to flee, and then God speaks to him in this burning bush. He comes back and says, go get my people out of Egypt. And by the way, they were slaves at the time, which maybe wasn't a happy season of life right? But God heard their cry and sends Moses to say, go to Pharaoh. He didn't really want to go to Pharaoh because he said, I'm not a good speaker. I don't know if I want this job. So God, God said, go. And so then he gives them this grand task of leading his people out. And there's these miracles that occur to set up the situation. And Moses takes the people and he gets stuck at this Red Sea, chased down by the enemy. And God splits the sea, walks right through it, right? Gets to the other side. And then for 40 years, they just wander around in the wilderness without ever getting to go into the promised land. Moses, called by God, the leader, he doesn't even get to go into the promised land. And all the while he's trying to lead them, people are grumbling against him and complaining. This Moses took us out of Egypt. There was good food there. I don't, I'm pretty sure, and you can see some of the interaction Moses has with God in his prayers, that he wasn't always happy. Jeremiah in the Bible, he's called the weeping prophet, not the happy prophet. Because he was given a message by God to deliver. 
And he was obedient to that message. And then he was mocked for it, ridiculed for it, thrown in jail for it, told he was an idiot for it. And so he would lament and weep, not because of extreme happiness, but because of hurt and pain. Paul in the New Testament. I mean, you may be familiar that he wrote most of the New Testament, and you might know he was shipwrecked, almost lost his life. He was beaten with inches of his life on multiple occasions. He would have to flee cities by being let out through the wall and had to escape persecution. I don't think in all those instances he was like, hey, happy, happy, happy. Jesus, brutally murdered on a cross. Do we need to go through his story? He was in tears that sweat drop and sweat drops like blood in the garden saying, if, if this cup can pass, let it pass. But if, if, if it's mine, it's mine, Lord, whatever you want. But struggling over what was about to happen. So this ideology that, that happiness should always occur, I'm always just concerned, like where, where did this come from? Because a lot of us, things haven't gone how we wanted. And when things don't go how we want, it's time to recalculate. It's time to think through, what, what is the deal? And I think some of you need to really listen today because deep down, there's some hurt there. And you're holding out against God. You're mad at God. You're just mad in general. And maybe you've even kept it hidden. You haven't even shared with many people. But deep down, there's some hurt there. There's some pain. There's some problems. And today, I want you to really listen because you say, God, you didn't come through. And I want to look at a time where we kind of see this happen. But before we get there, I want you to hear today, and this may shock many of you, but God's ultimate goal isn't for you to be happy. And we've got to start with that. And maybe it's not fun to hear because we love to be happy, but that's not his ultimate goal. That's not his ultimate goal. If you have a Bible, I would love to show you a story that's fascinating to me. Matthew chapter 11. If you have an app, great. If you have a copy of God's word, perfect. But Matthew chapter 11, there's this fascinating story because it involves someone who was extremely close to Jesus. Okay, He was very important to Jesus. This person had a very unique, unique role in the life of Jesus in the gospel story. He was actually born around the same time as Jesus. And he was his second cousin. And he spent the first part of his life teaching that Jesus was the Messiah and he was preparing the way for the ministry of Jesus. And when Jesus was ready to begin his ministry on earth, he went to this man to be baptized by him. And so some of you may be already thinking, oh, I know who this is. Who is it? John the Baptist. Some of you are like, I don't know who this is. Okay, well, we're gonna look at his story a little bit. John the Baptist. Now, in this passage in Matthew chapter 11, all right, John's already baptized Jesus uh, Jesus has been teaching. He's been traveling all over the region. He's given sight to the blind. He's healing paralyzed people. All right, he's he's hanging out with with the outcast uh, of the society. He's preaching comfort for those who are, are mourning. But his second cousin, John the Baptist, he's stuck in prison. All right, his, his situation is completely different. Now, John the Baptist was wildly popular with the people, except one person in particular, King Herod, and even more specifically his wife or his uh, woman, 
because John the Baptist would call people out on their sin. And people loved him for it because he lived out his faith and he was passionate and they believed him because he was a man of his word and of his conviction. But King Herod did not like it uh, because he called him out on his uh, affair with his brother's wife. And uh, that didn't go so well. And, and so for him, he's like, I don't, I don't, you need to shut that up. So I'm going to throw you in prison. And this is where we're going to find John. He's been arrested. He's in prison and probably knows that death is certain and near. So we're going to pick up Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. That's talking about Jesus. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, these are, you know, John the Baptist had followers too, and he tells them, they're the ones asking the questions. They go back in, to John. Tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Now, doesn't this seem out of place? You know, I, I told you a little bit about his story. John the Baptist had all these encounters with Jesus. When he first started his ministry, when Jesus first started, John the Baptist said this. I want you to look at it. John chapter 129, we'll put it on the screen for you. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. He was pretty sure then, that's the Lamb of God. That's the Messiah. There was no sending his disciples to Jesus in that moment saying, are you the one or should we expect someone else? No, he's, he's got great clarity in his life. That's the one. That's the lamb of God. That's the one I said. He's, been, he's existed long before me, greater than I am. He's the one. Not only that, when he was in his mommy's womb, he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. All right, verse 39. A few days later, this is in Luke chapter 1. A few, few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. That's uh, John's father. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth, the mom. At the sound of Mary, Jesus' mother, the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth, chi Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb, John the Baptist, jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Even in the womb, John the Baptist was like, whoa, whoa, another baby in the womb, that's the Messiah, okay? Even prenatal stage, he's got clarity, that's the one. He didn't leap up in the womb and then shout out, Hey, should we expect someone else? No. His jumping for joy and then his mom being filled with the Holy Spirit was the indicator like, hey, this is the one. This is the Messiah. You've got the, my Lord in your womb. Incredible story. Not to mention, I, I, I told you when John the Baptist, he baptized Jesus, but in that encounter, God showed up in a unique way. I'm gonna read it. Matthew chapter three, verse 16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. John the Baptist got to experience that with Jesus. So this seems like it's from left field. 
for John to think, okay, hang on, hang on. Are you the one or, 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 or should, is someone else coming that's going to be the one? There was no ambiguity in his life before then. There was only clarity. And now he's like, are, are you it? Are you the Messiah? Why? Well, his situation has changed, right? His plans have been completely altered to what he thought life was going to go. So now that there's potential pain, there's problems, there's at least a hint of, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? And let's be honest, we do the same thing. Something goes bad in your life. God, where were you? Did you abandon me? Did you go to sleep on me? Are you in slumber time? What happened? Are you the one? Should I be expecting someone else? And it might be as simple as you saying something bad's happening. You're like, my God. And you're like, not saying it as in, my God, I'm with you. I trust you. But it's like, where'd you go? Where are you? Are you the one or should I expect someone else? Well, Jesus answers John's question in a very strange way. He first tells him these incredible things. He says, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. We just sang about some of this. And the good news is being preached to the poor. And if you were blind and, and you were given sight, you would be happy, right? If you were a leper and you were cured, you would have a big old grin on that face. There would be some happiness in your life. But then there's this contrast to all those wonderful things. Jesus says, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Is it because of what I'm doing? Healing people. Dead. Being raised to life. Blessed are those that don't fall away because of that. Wouldn't that be odd, God? If you do one more miracle, I swear I'm out of here. I'm done with you, God. You keep healing people, giving people sight, curing people, that's it for me. So why, why does he say God blesses those who do not turn away because of me? Jesus is telling John, listen, John, you're in prison. In essence, he's, he's saying you're in a hard place and, and death is coming. But don't fall away just because I'm helping other people. Don't fall away just because my miracles are used in different situations than what you had for your own mind and plans. Jesus, the, the, the miracles that he mentioned are very specific. And those were all a prophecy out of Isaiah in the Old Testament that the Messiah would, would give the blind sight, would make the lame walk. Okay, And so Jesus is saying, John, I am the Messiah, and you know that prophecy, and I'm doing those exact things. But in your situation right now, you're going to have to trust me. Don't fall away because I'm doing these things for other people. You're going to have to trust the divine plan that I've got good in mind and you're going to have to believe it and hold on to it and trust me. And that's where the rubber meets the road. Situations like these are going to show if you got real faith or fake faith. When things get crazy and things get tough, do you hold on or let go? Are you going to lean into real faith or is your fake faith going to fly away? Here, Jesus is basically adjusting John's plans. 
said, okay, this is what you thought. But listen, you're going you're gonna to have to lean in to me and know it didn't go who your way, but it doesn't change who I am. Your understanding of me needs to change. I am still the Messiah, and I am doing these things. But what you thought would happen, it's not going to happen that way. And you're going to have to lean in and trust me. I haven't changed, but who you think I am has changed. As far as your perception of me, your understanding of me. And don't get me wrong. Jesus is capable of doing many things to make us happy. And even intentionally doing so. Okay, He sometimes does, but his ultimate goal isn't our happiness. Happiness is a feeling. While joy is different. Joy is an identity. Happiness is an emotional and fleeting. Joy is steady and sure. There's a difference between the two. Joy can be an identity, and you can find joy in any situation, in any circumstance. Even John the Baptist could find joy in his current situation being in prison. Jesus tells us in John 15, he says, we're not to have just any joy, but there's a particular joy that we're supposed to have. We're to have his joy. John 15, 11, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Why will our joy overflow? Because we've been filled with the joy of Jesus. He says, I want you to be filled with my joy, the joy of Jesus. And you can have the joy of Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you should have his joy. And that's an overflowing type of joy. And so when someone looks at my life, they should genuinely think, man, there's a, there's a joy in him. Even when things aren't perfect. And that doesn't mean I can't express frustration. That doesn't mean, but there's still this confidence. There's this joy that's overflowing that I have in Jesus. A Jesus kind of joy. So just because we're Christian doesn't mean we're exempt from tough times. Like with John the Baptist, Jesus never really seems overly concerned with keeping his followers from enduring difficulty. Jesus knows that good times and bad times come. We're in a fallen world. It happens. And so anyone that is trying to present to you a gospel that if you follow Jesus, you will have 24-7 happiness rejected. That's a false gospel. That's not the scripture. Jesus asked us to walk a difficult path. It's a path, though, he's already taken. He lived it out, too. He lived his life not in pursuit of happiness, but in what? Obedience to God. That's what his mission was, to be obedient to God. And that same God allowed him to endure suffering and painful death so that we could have good in our lives. That pain caused us great joy. But God allowed the pain for a purpose. And so the problem isn't Jesus. The problem is that we present Jesus as a cosmic Santa Claus. And, and like John the Baptist, we're going to figure out eventually that life isn't all gifts and mistletoe. Nor eggnog. Praise the Lord. No one likes eggnog, right? Any eggnog lovers in the, in the house? Oh, just this side of the room. Christians over here? Eggnog Satan lovers over here? Just kidding. But if we believe God's plan for us is all mistletoe and gifts, that we should always be happy, that, that God's plans for us must include our happiness, then we're going to have problems. Our faith will fall apart. There will be a moment like John the Baptist when we're left asking, God, are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? 
Faith isn't about trusting Jesus to make you happy. Instead, we, we come to the foot of cross and we surrender all the things that made us happy previously and say, Lord, they're yours. These things haven't been you, and I want you. And I surrender to you to be boss. And so we, we approach him in a posture of surrender, and then we discover all that should be up for grabs. Everything, whether it's a group of friends that make us happy or an addiction for John the Baptist, control over a difficult situation, we leave it in the hands of God. Following Jesus means we start surrendering our need for control over people, places, and plans. We don't have to have control over that. We surrender it to him and say, you use that for your glory. I want to be obedient to you. Those things don't satisfy anyway. And so Jesus wants us to let those go so that we can find true joy in him and peace in him. So maybe today you've been in a continual downswing. And it's really easy in our day and age. And things have been hard. And it's one thing after another that just keeps happening. And you can't seem to get out of it. Maybe it's time to, to move from asking why to what. Instead of asking, okay, how am I going to fix this? Or who's to blame? That's a, that's a question we love to ask. Who's to blame for this? What if we say, God, what are you going to do next? God, how are you going to take this ugly thing and create something beautiful? Because he can. God, what are you going to do next? Not why, but God, what, what's next? What, what are you, what, what's coming? What do you want to do? And of course, changing that from why to what doesn't mean we don't grieve. We, we can grieve. Because life is tough. Life is hard. It just means we don't become consumed with thinking pain is all life offers. We take our eyes off the pain and we put our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then we understand pain can happen, but pain's not all there is. There's still joy out there if I put my eyes on Jesus. And I would turn to him and say, you are the Messiah. You are the one. And so we have a choice. Pain can either make us bitter or it can make us better. My, my uh, college athlete, what's your name? I forget. Say it again. Kylie. Kylie's probably, she's going to go play basketball in college. And she busted her tail to get to that level. You know what came with that pain? I bet she's been sore, probably to the point of puking, if not actually puking. You know, I've coached basketball and, and, and seen kids throw up, and I get a little joy out of that, sadly. But, <laughs> oh, you sit, run again, you know. But there's pain that came with that, and there's a choice that athletes and then us, we have a decision to make. Are we going to be better over this, or are we going to be better over this? And the pain that comes in our life presents that choice to us as well. We're going to sit and pout, or are we going to get better? What's next, God? What, what are you going to do through this? How are you going to redeem this? How are you going to take what the devil intended for harm and turn it for good? That's the life of faith. That's real faith, not just, hey, faith is great because I'm happy and things are good. My circumstances are all right. No virus here, nothing here, no problem here. So I'm okay. No, faith is saying uh, good and bad. I'm trusting you, God, knowing that whatever it is, you got something better. Hebrews 10, I want to read this to you. This really stuck out to me. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. 
And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with, with what? Can you see the screens? I know they're kind of in these, they're big. There's a word there, it's three letters, starts with a J. What is it? Excuse me? Listen, I'm way back here because I am social distancing from you. I've seen some of you and where you've been. So I'm, I'm like, really, say joy. Say it with like a smile this time. One, two, three. Did you see how they accepted pain with joy? Whew. These are believers suffering these things. It says, you, never, or you knew there were better things waiting for you, not bitter things waiting for you. What's that word? Better. Okay, say better with a smile. One, two, three. There were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that has promised, all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Just a little while. Listen, he's not gonna delay. He's gonna come. His pause is for the greater good. There's a pause in your life maybe right now. And that pause has created pain, but there's a greater good. Trust in him. Verse 38, my righteous ones will live by faith. Faith. Say faith. faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Listen, I want you to leave here today a faithful one. And so we look to God as the one who has the ultimate plans and that he can be trusted with our plans. But listen to me today. Maybe you would be in the camp that say, you know what, I'm not a faithful one right now. If you're not there and you have some doubts right now, do what John the Baptist did, take him to Jesus. It's okay. He's big enough to handle it. The problem is when you start taking him elsewhere and then you start getting fool's gold, lies, deception. No, 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 take him to Jesus. Trust me with this. Just take them to him. I don't have all your why questions answered. I can't do that. I don't know all the answers. But what I do know is there's a, a God who longs for you to surrender to him and longs for an intimate relationship with you. And if you would take him to him, your deepest hurts, your biggest appointments, he might not make, make them immediately go away, but there will be a recognition deep within your soul, God's got this, he's the one. And you don't need to expect another. I believe that with all my heart, if you would be transparent before him and honest with him and just go to him and say, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what it is. It doesn't mean immediately all that stuff goes away. But I believe the spirit, if you're a believer, will whisper into your heart, I got you. I'm with you. I'm right there. Even when life's falling apart, God will whisper to you, I'm, I'm in control. I got you. So the question I want you to ponder today is this. Will I partner, throw it up on the screen for me, Nick, if you don't mind. Will I partner with God even though it's not what I prefer? Will I still, go, is my yes still on the table? You know what I mean by that? I occasionally say that, and that's just a phrase that sometimes I use, meaning, God, whatever you want. My yes is on the table. I put it out there. It's a yes. 
Will I partner with God even though it's not what I prefer? Will I resist it, push against it, or go with it? I want to close with what Jesus said about John the Baptist after he, his disciples said, hey, John wants to know, are you the one? Should we expect someone else? This is what he said, Matthew 11, verse 7. If you're still in Matthew 11, you can look. If not, be on the screen. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? He was very popular. People would flock to go hear what he was saying and be, to be baptized by him. Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. That's who John the Baptist was, a prophetic voice from Scripture to prepare the way of the Lord. And then look what Jesus said. I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. He was a great man. And in a moment of pain, he had a question, which tells me we probably are too. We're probably going to wonder, like, why, why did this happen? Why did this go this way? Why did this go south? Why hasn't it been exactly how I wanted? But what John the Baptist did, he went to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Trust him. Take him to him. Know that he's good. Let him whisper to your voice. And then we'll be the faithful ones. That when the storms come, we stand. We'll be like the man who built his house on the rock. That when the, way, the wind and the waves beat against that house, it didn't fall because it had a what? A solid foundation. And Jesus said, the reason you get a solid foundation is due to hearing my words and putting them into practice. Well, you're not going to hear his words if you're not going to Jesus. Now, in that little parable, and uh, I believe it's Matthew 7, Jesus says this about another house. When the, a storm hit that house, but it didn't survive the storm. It fell with a great crash. Why? Because its foundation was not solid rock. Its foundation was sand. Now, this house too heard the words of Jesus. The problem was with that house, it didn't do what Jesus said. Didn't put them into practice. And so today... When we go to him with our doubts, with our questions, concerns, we hear from him, and then our ultimate goal is to be obedient to how he leads. And even if that means we don't get happiness right then. But we obey, trusting that he knows because he's the builder of the house. So Father, I pray for us online in this room to be wise and not foolish. To be a people that would take all of our doubts, concerns, questions, hurts, pain to you. To put ourselves in a position just to, to turn to you and say, okay, I know you're the Messiah and I'm just going to trust and lean into you then give us those ears to hear. And then may we walk away faithful in obedience to you. And for those that are hurting right now and have been asking, 
Are you the one? Or, or should I expect another? For those that have been in that season that have put their faith and trust in you but have just been rocked in their world, I pray they would turn to you and hear you love on them today. You would encourage them today. You would help them today. And that for each person in that position would surrender to you today and say, okay, God, I'm past why. I'm, I'm now at what? What is it you want? What do you want me to do? What's next? How are you going to redeem this? How are you going to give me beauty from these ashes? How, for, for what seems so harmful, is going to turn out to be good? I surrender to that. Because I know you have plans for me to prosper, to have a hope and a future, not for disaster. And may we lean into that, trusting you with it. Father, thank you for your healing power. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your foundation that you give us, solid as a rock. Thank you for our time together. In your name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on and we would love to hear from you. If there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless. Thank you.